0: Welcome to Bible Study. It's a pleasure to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. Today I would like to just introduce to you our panel and I will start with Helen here. Thank you for coming uh, to this Bible Study, Helen.
1: That's great. Just love it. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And I'm just looking towards uh, Harvey there. Um, Good to have you with us again, Harvey.
2: Hi, Nick. It's good to be here again.
0: Brenton, thank you for being part of this Bible study. It's a pleasure to be able to introduce the Bible. Yeah, that's exactly what we are trying to do. And Len is the one, again, who prepared this study as a facilitator. And Len, I will just hand it right to you. Well, first of all, hello listeners. It's great that you've tuned in today and we trust
3: that you enjoy this study that we go through. Today we're on the second to last on these studies about oneness in Christ. And this study is called Church Organisation and Unity. Last week we studied about unity in worship. And despite regional and cultural differences, oneness in worship can be attained by following what is written in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where in the early apostolic church, the believers did each... And all of four things together. And they, first of all, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they studied scripture to find out what they should believe and understand. A second thing was that they fellowshiped. They spent time together. A third was that they ate together. The verse actually says they broke bread. And then, fourthly, they devoted themselves to prayer. All four aspects were important as they filled spiritual, social, and psychological needs, bringing some meaning to the statement I'm going to share with you. The church that prays together stays together, and the church that plays together stays together also. This week, we'd like to share more about oneness in Christ by considering the topic, as I mentioned earlier church organization and unity but before we launch into the study helen would you like to pray for us and for the listeners please
1: yes i'd love to thank you loving heavenly father we are just so grateful we can meet today we can share we can open your word and we can go under the guidance of the holy spirit i pray the interpretation will not be from us as mere mortals but will come through you. I pray Lord that as we discuss the oneness in Christ that we will be moved by the things that are brought to our attention I pray as we discuss particularly this week's um, topic on church organisation and unity that we will see the need of the organisation we will see the need of your church and you will unite us all together Lord to worship you I pray in your name Amen. Amen.
3: Yes thank you Helen. Well I want to uh, throw out a Pretty interesting question. Harvey, do you think God is organised?
2: Very definitely, yes. Um, there is so much evidence to indicate that. As we understand God is the creator of all things, without organisation it would just be total chaos. But you, it seems to be that if scientists look at things, living things especially, under a microscope, The stronger the magnification, the more organization is identified. You look at some things, they'd say, oh, okay, it's only one cell, but then you put it under incredible magnification, and that cell is organized almost like a major city. It's amazing, the organization. And then we can go the other way, look out into the universe, and all the different galaxies organized so that. They don't bump into each other. and it's, it's incredible.
3: And I guess from that we can extrapolate that where there is a church, there needs to be organisation. Brenton, the church has been described as the Bride of Christ. So who invented the church and do you think it should be organised?
4: Well, God invented the church. But I'm interested in the term, Len, the Bride of Christ. Now, all of us, I'm sure, have been to weddings at various times. The star of the ceremony is usually the bride. The bride bride is the one that everybody looks at. They watch her as she comes down the aisle. They watch her as she takes her vows, as she seals uh, her relationship with her husband with a kiss and as they leave the church together. It's necessary for organisation, as Harvey said... But the the Bride of Christ, the Church, is actually meant to be a representative to the world of spiritual organisation. And this is the thing, I believe, that will make a huge difference to people as they observe a Church that is loving and that is organised and that is fulfilling the function that Christ had for it.
3: So have you ever been to a wedding where the Bride was all sort of messy, where her hair was all undone and lipstick was on her cheeks and that sort of thing? Not as yet <laughs> Well that could mean there's a possibility <laughs> no, well, I,
4: no, that's uh, I've never been to a wedding like that I've either conducted one or been to one like that <laughs> So a
3: simile therefore applies to the church The church is to be organised to carry out the uh, commission that God has given So Helen, what is the purpose of the
1: church? Firstly, let me say that the church is not the building. The church is the people and and the people of God. The reason for the church or the purpose for the church, well, number one, we're going to worship God, we're going to obey him, we're going to serve him. But it is the means that God uses for spreading the gospel to all the world. And we must also remember while we're thinking about that, the church cannot save. Only Jesus can do that. But it is a means of bringing the people to him.
3: Yes, it's the means. Mm -hmm. It's the, the equipment, if you like, that God uses. And the church, as you very rightly pointed out, is not the building. It's the people within the building, both corporately and individually. The church has a commission to reach others who don't know that they can be saved through the merits of Jesus Christ. Yes.
1: Can I just add to that, Len, that, and we're going to discuss this, I'm sure, as we go through our study today, the church is also there to serve. And we must remember that we have a mission.
0: And if I could say also that, um, in my view, church is not just a group of people. Church is not just a gathering. Church is something some people who know Jesus Christ know His voice and follow Him. That's church, because can be church, you know. And probably we can talk about apostate church, but if you want to talk the the true church, is that church which is connected with the teachings of Jesus. All right. Yes. Thank you. Nick.
3: Thank you, Nick. Now, Harvey, would you mind reading Ephesians five and the second part? which would be uh, verse 23, the second part of verse 23.
2: Certainly, and the question can be asked, who is the head of the church? Well, the Bible says clearly in this text that I'm about to read, it says Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. So it's definitively Jesus Christ is the head of the church.
3: Okay, and what does the text imply there? Well, it actually says what the church is. He's the head of the church, but then it says what is the church?
2: The church is the body of believers that makes up that church. And uh, in many places in Scripture, it speaks about the members of the body. And a body has so many parts. All of them are important. All of them have different roles. And all of them are sort of dependent. It's a symbiotic relationship with all the others. They have to actually all be there for the body to function correctly.
3: Okay, well, you can just have a picture in your mind's eye of a head and then a body. The head is in charge. That's where the brain is located and all the decisions are made. And the body fulfills the commands of the brain or of the head in this case. How is a head without a body?
4: Len, can I uh, just take a different tack on this a little bit? on sure. Christ's, body? Christ's body, the church, and uh, the church is what? It's universal, is it not? So really what you've got here is uh, you have Christ's body. Christ himself went back to heaven and he promised to send the Holy Spirit when he went back. Well, he has sent the Holy Spirit, but Christ's body is found throughout uh, throughout the world. Wherever you go in the world today, you can find Christ's body or representative of Christ's body. And I think that's actually very important because it gives a universality to the fact that um, Christ's body is to be found anywhere on this planet. Mm.
1: Without a head, there is no direction. Yeah.
4: Nick, did you want to say something? Here?
0: Yeah, I was just want to, just a short um, quotation um, I want to mention because uh, we're talking about um, organization and in our own mind and in, you know, as we understand things, we want to do church or run the church, if you like, in our own understanding. But I, I got this uh, quotation. I think it's quite uh, interesting to, to understand what's saying here. It is Christ and his word as revealed in scripture that determine what the church is Mm.
3: just before we leave this particular point you know i'm very aware of um at least one major church group in the world consider not christ as the head but have a different head and this um Well, I think there's a program coming up on television tonight about this particular individual who they claim is the head of the church. But as far as we as Protestant Christians are concerned, the head of the church is Christ. We are answerable to him. Yes. All right, Brenton, would you like to read for us, please, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, and then I'll ask the question after you've read it. The aim, Christ's aim for the church. What should that church be like?
4: I believe the answer is found, Len, in the first part of verse 27. And that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. If we reflect back on one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples before he left this earth, in John fourteen one to 3 he said, I will come and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The saved of all ages who go to heaven will be Christ's body, Christ's church, without spot and without wrinkle. Can you imagine Christ as he looks over these people and says, here is my body, here is those who I gave my blood for. Here are the ones who have accepted my salvation. Here are the ones who are without spot and wrinkle or any such blemish.
3: So think of it in wider terms. Inasmuch as the church is to be holy, clean, radiant, without stain, wrinkle, blemish, and to be blameless, what sort of a standard is that for the rest of the community
4: in the world? I think it's uh, the highest possible standard, Lynn. Yeah. And I think honestly that this is what Christ is seeking so much for in 2018. He wants his church to be a model to society of how society should live, how they should think, how they should interact with one another, and how they should proclaim his goodness to others.
3: Yes, exactly. And of course, when there are issues involving churches... And one of those issues, of course, that's been very prominent of late is the pedophilic mm. issue. Yes. What do then people think of the church as they regard, say, leaders in the church doing all these horrible things? What did they say about it?
4: The status of the church goes down in the eyes of the community. I have talked to people uh, who are not, uh, belong to no church affiliation whatsoever and many of them are disgusted by the behavior of people that they expected to have a better standard than the mm. rest of society. Really what it's doing is dragging God's name through the mud yes. by demonstrating Absolutely. that these people put their own um, selfish interests or their own uh, egos ahead of uh, the fact that we we need to be mindful that as a Christ's body we are representing Christ before members of the
3: community. People say, yes I'll come to you in a moment Nick, people say if that's what Christianity or if that's what church is
0: I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's an interesting point because um, we are also coming across with um, the movement of non-denominational you know when people are saying you know what you don't need to be part of an organization or or, uh, a group. As uh, Brenton just said, when we as Christians we express ourselves and our views it's very important to reflect the character of Jesus Christ because otherwise we send a very wrong message Mm. and when I'm saying that is we need to be very careful on um, also walking away from anything like which God wants to bless and to organize in an instance the Apostolical Church God said to themselves, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit and the power to go and preach and teach everyone to the whole world. Now, every time when God added people to that group, that was to that church, you know, people added to that truth of what he taught, you know, in his life. And that's why I want to just uh, make clear that we are not here to talk about, to lift up some group, some organization, or put down some other organizations. We are here to lift up the Word of God, which will make us to be the true church, and and Jesus Christ, which will make us to be the true church Mm -hmm. and bride of Jesus Christ.
1: Just in a nutshell, we need to not only talk the talk, we need to walk the walk.
0: Oh,
3: yes. Now, from those uh, verses that Brenton read just a moment, from Ephesians chapter 5, what analogy was used there to describe the relationship between Christ and the church, Helen?
1: Marriage, husband and wife.
4: Okay,
3: and that's a very close relationship, at least it should be, in an ideal setting.
4: Notice, Len, it's husband and wife, not husband and husband or wife and wife. (laughs) right. It's husband and wife. Okay, yes.
3: Helen, would you read the verse that Brenton didn't read? Ephesians 5, verse 24. That wasn't your fault, Brenton. Who does it say is in charge here in this analogy situation?
1: Okay, Ephesians 5:24. I'm reading from the New uh, Living Translation. It says here, "As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything." Now, I'd like to make a comment on that, <laughs> because I think over the years, this particular text has been used and distorted too many times. I've seen it happen in marriages, where the husband will actually quote this verse, but they're beating their wife at the same time into submission i don't believe that's what it says because if you go back to the verse before it actually says um a husband is ahead of his wife as christ is ahead head of the church He's savior of his body and the church it is christ who is the head and when the husband is submitting to Christ, yes, I don't have a problem with that text at all. Mm. Wives submit. You know, it's a kind of mutual um, submission between a husband and wife that pres- that preserves harmony, if you like, you know, um, and order within the family. And then it in- can increase love and respect among family members. And that, to me, is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church
0: yes good thank you and this is a very hot topic and uh, I think we can um, go all direction from here but I just like to say something because uh, Len uh, just mentioned about uh, this as an analogy and I like to say that's not necessarily an analogy actually it's a reality It's the Word of God written in the Bible when God said that and when you look from a man point of view or a woman point of view you can take sides this verse but when you look at who god is and how he is organized and how he directs things to work for the best then we need to understand the context of that verse and what i would like to say is this we and that's my opinion now i believe that we live in a very matriarchal society now when i'm saying that is that everyone is pushing and see what even in political and economical and all sides People are pushing behind women to be able sometime to even manipulate that thing. Now, what I believe personally is that God said that clearly that the man is the head of the wife in what respect? And God wants to say, you know, if you want to follow things, you don't need to oppress the other party, which you, Helen just pointed out so rightly. We are not here to oppress each other, but we are here to know the role of each one of us. In God's plan of salvation
3: in the analogy with husband and wife if you think of the traditional husband's role husband is the provider and the protector and I believe this works in this church analogy Christ is the provider and the protector Helen you wanted to add something here
1: yeah I, I just wanted to add that although this could well be a not a popular belief you know of um wives submitting to their husbands it is a belief and it's put forward by god through scripture and we don't have the authority to discard it you know but it needs to be in the right way you know as christ loves the church so the husband is to love the wife mm. and again it should be a mutual uh, mutual respect for each other
4: yeah. yeah then can i just suggest that um the submission is a submission of equals. Now, in our society, the word submission has uh, always the connotation of an inferior and a superior. Uh, in the Bible, it is a submission of equals. Uh, the husband loves his wife as, the, as Christ loved the church. Now, if a husband was really submitting to his wife in the manner in which uh, Paul tells us to do, it says he's to love her as he loves himself. That is a very, very high standard indeed. However, that's the standard that God calls us to. Can I suggest to all Christian men that if we loved our wives as Christ loved the church, there would be some very, very happy homes around the place. Yes.
0: And even though God, the Son of God, God the Father, you know, Son and Holy Spirit are all one, but they all play their own role. They have different functions. Jesus submitted himself to the Father as his will was. And this is important, because we're talking here about uh, order, about uh, who God is. Is God o- uh, a God of uh, confusion? Mm-hmm. No, God set up mm-hmm. some things, and if we are following that, we cannot go wrong. And the great example is in Jesus himself. As he said, I can order these things, to do this and that, but I will choose to submit to the Father.
1: Just, Just going on with that, too, when Christ submitted to the Father... He submitted to the point of death didn't he and so from a, a woman's Good point, point yeah from a woman's point of view um the woman gets to submit to the husband but the husband gets to die for the wife yes if you want to think of it that way well,
4: okay it's in the yeah. terms of christ gave himself yes, for
1: the church that's exactly yes. right
3: now we're talking oh. about unity through church organization And you can see in this what we've been talking about too, that as people submit to Christ, there will be unity in that. If they just want to go out in their own way, well, there'll be disunity. And this is probably borne out by the question I'm going to ask you, Harvey. Is the church given the freedom to decide its own beliefs and doctrines and also to decide who can be saved or not?
2: Absolutely not. I couldn't be more definite about that. The church is to be under the control and authority of Christ. We should get all our beliefs, doctrines, and the way we um, deal with things on a spiritual level, it should be all under the authority of Christ.
4: Okay. Brenton, what did you want to say here? I agree with um, Harvey in the sense that a lack of... um, shall we say, consistency in doctrine leads to what Paul talked about when he warned Timothy (laughs) that um, to present sound doctrine and not be blown about by every wind of doctrine, that would suggest that the church could become chaotic in its beliefs. If it's chaotic in its belief, what it presents to the world is also chaotic.
3: All right. Well, now, Harvey, what would happen if the church claimed its own authority and decided who would be saved or not. What would occur if churches took on that uh, role, that responsibility, if you like?
2: I suppose we could say that the church, and we've discussed it already, with Christ as the head of the church, he is really the true authority. If men interposed themselves to such an extent that they then became the ultimate authority... It would, in fact, be just a man-controlled institution, which certainly wouldn't be the way God intended the church to be. And
3: There wouldn't be unity. Well, Helen, has any church actually done that?
1: Sadly, yes. Some churches are actually building, if you like, their doctrines on tradition as being more important than on God's word. Um, I think I've mentioned before in some of our studies, what is tradition? And tradition is handed down from one to another, but it it may not necessarily be built on truth. Mm. Uh, as, for example, the man who married a woman and she put a roast in the oven, she topped and tailed it, pushed it in the oven, and he said to her, why do you do that? She said, because my mother has always done it. And so he went to the mother. He said, when you would put a roast in the oven, do you top and tail it? She said, yes. And he said, why? Well, my mother always did it, and Grandma was still alive. And so he went to Grandma, and he said, did you do-? And she said, yeah. And he said, why did you do that? And she said, because it wouldn't fit in the oven. So when you think about that in the terms of tradition, it can be lost as to why people start doing that. You should never put tradition above the word of God. And sadly, there are some that do.
3: The important thing here for us to remember, listeners, is that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the centre of the Bible. And what we believe must be biblical. Otherwise, it's simply man-made or becomes traditional and there will be no unity in that
0: i'd like to say also that uh, some people are using the bible and uh, saying that if you don't do that you wouldn't be saved but uh, i'll give an example here some people say if you're not speaking in tongues you are lost you're not going to be saved because you don't have the blessing of the holy spirit and i many times i wonder how can a group or uh, somebody who says that uh, sustain that uh, it's important to speak in tongues but Uh, denied the keeping of the commandments, for example, and in particularly one of the commandments which they don't keep. What I would like to say is this. When God gave us the truth and the teachings and the laws and said to the disciples, go and preach and teach and, you know, everything what I have commanded you, is in the fullness of that truth, not just parts of it. We are not going to say that just those people who uplift tradition are uh, those people who push astray. Uh, the church or the direction. There are people who use the word of God but not in the fullness of its teachings. Yes, some apply their own
3: interpretations, some miss things out and um, you were talking about a full understanding and I believe that's very important. Yes, Helen?
1: There is only one way to salvation and Jesus stipulates that in scripture. Yeah. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Not Um, by going to church every week not by speaking in tongues not by the works that you do but only through Jesus
3: All right, Uh, Helen we're getting on to another issue here which um, is involved in church unity or disunity would you mind reading from Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 through to 28
1: Happy to do that
3: The words of Jesus
1: Thank you, and again I'm reading from the New Living Translation It says here, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many.
3: So... The principle is what?
1: Well, for a start, Jesus showed all this from a leadership, from a completely new perspective, didn't he? I think it probably would have blown their minds because that wasn't how the leadership was in the day. And I believe that instead of using people, we are to serve them. And Jesus' mission was to serve and always to serve others and to give his life away for others. Oh, and, yes. and I believe that a real leader today should have that servant's heart that Jesus has given the example.
3: Yes, they've taken the position of leadership. Yes. Because they can serve, not the other way around. Absolutely. Okay, mm. Harvey, what did you want to say
2: here? There's a passage I'd like to read from The Desire of Ages, and I think it says it very well. Although Jesus did not wish to abolish all authority structures, what he wished to emphasize is that the church leaders must first of all be servants and slaves of God's people. Their positions are not to exercise authority over people or to dominate them or to give themselves prestige and reputation. Christ was establishing a kingdom on different principles. He called men not to authority but to service the strong to bear the infirmities of the weak power position talent education place their possessor under the greater obligation to serve his fellows I think that actually says very clearly that it's not for an individual's benefit it's for the benefit of the church and leadership I think Jesus said that leaders should be servants he actually taught servant leadership and i think that's very important yes that's
3: right brenton can you give any um, practical examples of servant
4: leadership the most practical one that comes to mind that christ himself gave was at the last supper uh, where he washed his disciples feet now, he was demonstrating there what the Greek word doulos actually means because a servant would wash the, the feet of the guests. It would not be a Jewish servant. It would be a Gentile servant. So Christ was actually demonstrating here, and it lines up perfectly with Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, where it says he took upon himself uh, the role of a, a servant or a slave and he went to the lowest possible level. Remember that at this time, in the upper room, the disciples are still arguing over who's going to be the greatest. None of them were willing to wash one another's feet. Christ, in doing that, I believe inaugurated, Len, exactly what leadership is in his church. Leadership in his church is a willingness, if necessary, to take the lowest possible place. In other words, to almost be seen in a humiliating sense to demonstrate exactly what true leadership is true leadership is taking the lowest place and being willing to do whatever it takes to to raise someone up to lift somebody up and to help to show them exactly what christ's form of leadership actually is
1: yeah i'm just amazed when i read this example and meditate on it when you think about it jesus acts are actually wrapped A towel around his waist Mm. that was symbolic symbolic of the lowest slave to do that to start with you know we're talking about and then he of course he washed his disciples feet we're talking about the king of kings we're talking about the creator of this world Ah. he humbled himself to the point the Mm -hmm. towel around him down on his knees in front of the creature you. you know he was the creator um, I mean if there is no greater example that we could see that makes me want to say wow yeah. absolutely wow and if if even he God in the flesh was willing to serve we his followers must also be servants willing to serve in any way that glorifies God
3: so what happens when, awesome. what happens when there's somebody in leadership position who um, assumes that they are there to control rather than serve others what's the result of that
1: just just before i mention that let me mention that i was in a church where the head elder actually said he said i can't give a lot of time to the cleaning around the place but he said i wish to clean the toilets every week and i saw the look on some people's face you know that's not a job for the head elder what are you doing he was a very humble country guy and my respect went up many times. I thought he is walking in the steps of Jesus. Mm. But getting back Certainly. to what, what you just asked, what would happen? Well, I guess we would have dissatisfaction. We would have disharmony. We would have strife. We would have jealousy. In actual fact, we would have a dictatorship. If you think about Hitler's regime, uh. what happened then? You know, um, not, not the way that um, leaders should be. Yes. definitely not, and especially Christian leaders.
0: Absolutely mm. Alright, Harvey uh, but just, Sorry uh, Len, just to bite into that uh, if we look to the Christendom right today, what we could see? I may ask just a bit of a rhetorical question here do we see service or do we see their elevation if I'll ask one thing who do you think uh, is the most popular or famous person in the world, if, we, if you think of them, you know, the first three would you give an answer? Who do you think is the most popular? The Pope. Who's he? Well, he's the head of the Catholic Church. He's a leader of the uh, Christian uh, group, if you like, and still is the most famous person. Now, I'm not sure about that, uh, and I'm not going to criticize and say anything about the uh, humbleness and other things, you know. But, uh, yeah, I think we're talking those things from the Bible, but I'm not sure how much we can apply it in our days. Or is applied or not? We can apply it, but is it applied?
1: I think we have to be very careful, Nick, um, when we look at other people in that we can see by their actions. I remember a headline where the Pope knelt and washed someone's feet. And and bless him for that, you know. Um, It's what's behind the action when we do it or our leaders do it, no matter what denomination we belong to. What is the motive for doing it? Is it to bring glory to self or is it to bring glory to God?
3: Yeah, it's just going back to the Pope, of course. The structure of that particular church comes from the top down. In other words, the Pope and the Cardinals and whoever, they apply the beliefs that they want on the people. On the other hand, being for the people, because some of the things that they practice and apply not for the people there are really difficult things that people have to comply with so this probably what we're talking about today with christ being the head of the church for the good of the people is um not probably very well practiced in that religious group but can i ma-
1: just add there then in what you said you know one comes from the, the top down christ came from the top down but he went down to a servant Mm -hmm. there is a difference
3: Mm. Harvey would you read uh, we're on to another thing here Uh, would you read 2 Timothy 2.15
2: yes surely let's read from 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth
3: Okay. so what is this then saying about leaders in church?
2: They must correctly handle truth.
3: What does Whatever that mean?
2: the truth is that they know by script from scripture they should handle it properly.
3: Yes. Um, this of course is a moot point here because many leaders in churches are presenting stuff that is not biblical truth, as we mentioned a bit earlier. Yes, Brenton, you wanted to pop in here and say something.
4: Uh, can I suggest that the uh, when we talk of truth, Jesus Himself said in John fourteen, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." In other words, an incorrect uh, presentation of doctrine is an incorrect presentation of Jesus Christ to those who are hungering and thirsting to know him. Hmm. So it actually places a lot of responsibility on us as church leaders to feed uh, those that God has given us correctly, to yes. present Jesus Christ correctly to those who
0: are listening. And if I could add that uh, leaders are not to please people, leaders are to please God. Yes?
1: I was interested in a word in, in that one of that texts where it says sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. you know sound doctrine you know i had people somebody just say to me the other day yes but there's so many interpretations of scripture how do we know well number one we're praying for the holy spirit to enlighten us but number two you need to put precept with precept line upon line and the way that i started to come in and understand truth and sound doctrine was to line up all the texts that referred to that particular doctrine and if it lined up like a, a beautiful white picket fence that was, you know, all the points lined up, I was fairly sure that that was right. But if I had a picket fence that was, you know, that was down on that side and then a few more, this this text didn't support her, I could be pretty sure that was an unsound doctrine.
3: Yeah, okay. Brenton, you're probably aware of the fact that there is a multiplicity of churches in the world. I believe there's about 30,000 plus 33, Protestants. 30,000, I think. Protestant churches, would you say that the multi-thousands of different beliefs came about because of private interpretations of the scripture or was it because they handled the word of God correctly?
4: Well I would say it's because the word of God has been handled incorrectly. Uh, Titus nine actually said holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. This is Paul talking to Titus who had established the Christian church on the island of Crete, I think it was. And uh, he said that you were to be faithful in presenting uh, the truth by sound doctrine. And the reason for that is to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, it's interesting. In another place, uh, Paul actually says that in the last days, people will gather to themselves teachers who will teach them doctrines that um, shall we say tickle their fancy Ah. Uh, i think the term in the scripture used is itching ears they have itching ears that's right what that means is that they are being fed false doctrine that actually makes them feel comfortable the word of god as it is presented in the bible to exhort means to encourage you to go to a higher level it leaves no room for complacency or no room for uh, are just comfortably cruising along but much of the material that you hear in the Christian world these days both on television and in other places it doesn't take the sinner out of their comfort zone it doesn't point them to the fact that they desperately need Jesus Christ as their personal saviour
3: can you just imagine a scenario where all churches rightly interpreted the word of God rightly served the Lord Jesus, rightly had the Holy Spirit guiding them, there would only be one church instead of all these different ways. I was going to ask what would that one church be,
2: but I think we'll leave that for the moment. I think it can be said, and I think the reason we could say that it would be Christianity in its purest form as it came from the hand of Jesus right back uh, apostolic times That was when the church Was at its purest mm. And I think that We would all be If it was Everybody was doing What God wanted it To be done We would be doing it As the apostles did it
3: Do you think you belong To that church?
2: I believe I belong To a church That follows the beliefs Of the apostles Yes
0: mm. Okay but One thing I was asked Some time ago Len uh, About the true church And uh, it was a Gathering of um, Five, six denominations there, including like Orthodox Catholics, Pentecostals, Baptists uh, Adventists, and so on, and the question was asked which one is the true church and i I thought I was inspired by that time to say that the true church is the Church of Jesus Christ as was mentioned here which and I pointed out to each one of the strong points in those denominations and I said the true church should be like the Orthodox as the name orthodoxa which means right teachings. Mm-hmm. Should be like Catholic, which means universal, should be one church. Should be like the Pentecostals, have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Should be like the Baptist, to have the love of God emphasized, and so on. And I mentioned that all of those characteristics should be in one church, ah. rather than uh, spread across.
3: Okay, that, that was a good answer. I like that answer. Mm. Harvey, would you read Matthew chapter 16, verse 19? Here is an issue which is very important, and I think we should unpick this. Helen, would you mind reading Matthew chapter sixteen, nineteen? 19? Because here is an issue that's very important in relation to this discussion today on unity in organisation.
1: I'm happy to read it again from the New Living Translation. This is a verse that has been subject to debate for centuries, but let me read it. It says here, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven.
3: So, what are the keys of the kingdom then?
1: very very good question you know some say that they represent the authority to carry out church discipline legislation administration others say that the keys give them the authority to announce forgiveness of sins still others say that the keys may be the opportunity to bring people uh, to the kingdom of heaven by presenting them with a message of salvation they say that's the keys of of heaven you know when the religious leaders thought that they held the keys of the kingdom of heaven, they, some of them decided to open or close the kingdom of heaven for others. But that wasn't God. what God wanted. I mean, he uses us to help others find the way to come inside. And to all who believe in Christ and obey his words, the kingdom doors are swung open open. Wide, So let me just um, emphasize again that that the message of salvation, it is not the authority to randomly pick and choose who will inherit eternal life. I know I'm getting a bit strong on that, but I have seen people do that, Uh and it does get my dander (laughs) up, but it's not. It is a message of salvation. So if you
3: consider what Jesus told the disciples to do in the commission, he said Go into the, all the world baptize them in the name of the father son and the holy Spirit, and, and teaching them all things i have commanded you yes. this is where the keys of the kingdom can be identified it is in the teachings of god's word that's mm-hmm. the, that's the uh the key it's the yeah. key by which people can enter the kingdom
0: of god yes. and first of all a key when you handed a key to somebody you had a responsibility, you know, to make sure that that thing it's locked or it's uh, unlocked. And I would like to say also that uh, that key is the truth. Now, the disciples were given those keys of preaching the truth, but at the same time to point out to the heresy. If we have, for example, um, around us, you know, a movement of heresy, are we going to say something or not? You know, we, we have those keys to close and to, to lock and unlock. Mm. It's not only one way. Sure. Mm. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Good point, Nick. Thank you. Now,
3: of course, within the church organization, there will be conflicts. That's just a fact of life. Harvey, what happens when someone condemns someone else without really knowing all the facts and the motives? Just generally. I'm not talking now in a church context, but anywhere.
2: Well, it usually creates resistance, doesn't it? Yes. Um, immediately there's conflict if it's not done the right way.
3: Okay. All right. Um, Brenton, have you ever seen this happen where somebody doesn't really understand the situation, what's going on, and they, they condemn somebody because mm. of mm. their in- incomplete information?
4: Hmm. Then it does happen, and unfortunately I could cite a personal example from many years ago of a situation in a church environment where uh, I was accused of a certain thing, uh, which was incorrect. However, the person who accused me of it died a number of years later, still believing that what he said about me was true. And I remember saying to him at the time, if you choose to believe that, that's your choice. However, really, there are only two people who know uh, the outcome or exactly what was said. God is one and I'm the other one. Mm. Now, I think whenever we approach the issue of talking, if I was to talk to Harvey or Helen or yourself or Nick, um, with incomplete information, one should be very, very careful and have the right spirit in trying to find out where they're coming from and why they're saying what they're saying because you are dealing with a a fellow human being like yourself whereas in the case of where you're dealing with God he knows everything so I I think we need to exercise the utmost care the utmost gentleness in talking one-on-one if there is an issue with the other person because often it's not what you say that will win them it's the manner in which you present it yes. will often have the biggest effect on it. Yeah,
3: It's not what you say, it's how you yeah. say it.
1: Yes, that's right. And it comes back to the text in Scripture when it speaks very much of that. I think Harvey's got one there on Matthew 18.
2: Yes, I do. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, What's being said here, of course, is that you don't deal with it alone. If you can, you deal with it alone. You, You go and see the person. If they won't accept it, then take a couple of people to show that what you're saying, there is witnesses to what you're saying, and so you can't be misquoted. And then finally it goes to the church if they won't hear the group that goes. But if it goes to the church and the person's not willing to listen to the authority of the church at all under the Spirit of God, then really there's not too much you can do for that person from a spiritual point of view until they make their peace with God again.
3: Okay. Uh, Just before you speak, Helen, I was watching something about um, aircraft and the maintenance of aircraft, and there's this huge manual about everything on the aircraft and here as i see it jesus is speaking and telling people what to do in a case where you have conflict between members in a church Mm -hmm. it's it's an organizational issue which will uh, protect the uh, unity within a church
1: Oh, it's interested in you bringing in the maintenance of aircraft um because if there are a few nuts or bolts in the wrong place we're in trouble huh. are we not yes yeah i remember seeing what we call the toy planes the small you know single engines or twin engine planes up in papua new guinea and i remember being in the aircraft hangar one day and the engineer had pulled a plane completely apart for, to do a major inspection. And I mean completely apart. There were just shelves which had all different parts of that plane. And I can remember walking in there and I went, are you going to put it all back together again? And of course he did. And he didn't miss one bolt. one screw or one panel it was all put together again that was well organized and the plane flew and i can testify it flew because i'm still here today and i went up in it so yeah i thought that was an interesting analogy that you used but i love the words in matthew 7 unfortunately these are misinterpreted as well in scripture Mm. it says matthew 7 1 to 5 it says do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others the standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own how can you think of saying to your friend let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye hypocrite First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Well in in looking at that I I put in capitals judge not. But then in thinking about it I thought well this is really against the kind of hypocritical judgmental attitude that tears one down so the other person can be lifted up. Yeah. You know and and that's not not the right judgement. You know it's not a blanket statement my friends against or critical thinking, but a call to be discerning rather than negative. For example, Jesus said to expose false teachers. Paul taught, you know, he taught us to um, exercise church discipline. But ultimately, God is to be the final judge. And we must acknowledge that.
4: Yes. Oh. Len, can I just comment very, very quickly on that? Because I realize time is going. Uh, what the have you read in Matthew 18, 15 to 17 is very important Um, you use the analogy of an aircraft manual but in actual fact you start with the issue of talking to the person who has wronged you when you reach the point where it says treat him as a pagan and a tax collector it doesn't mean um, to totally ignore him what it does we've got to remember that one of one of the key issues here is the church has to absolve itself of having taken all the correct procedures in dealing with this erring person Mm -hmm. when you've reached the point of treating them as a pagan and a tax collector you have in fact followed the um, command of christ to do this in the right manner if the person still chooses to ignore it uh, you have done your duty before god therefore the church, Christ's body is ab- absolved of the responsibility of trying to help this person further, but it still leaves open the opportunity for the person to repent at some of future course. time
0: yes. and that's, that's what I was also thinking, but I would like to just present a, a very simple, uh, simple principle here, mm-hmm. if it's an issue in between a person and God, that issue needs to be addressed in between the person and God, mm-hmm. it's an, if it's an issue in between two people that needs to be resolved in those two uh, people. But if it's an issue which goes beyond that, uh, which says here, bring another two or three winners with you, that becomes a little bit more public. And if that's not addressed publicly, that people will have that Prejudgmental attitudes toward, as you read, uh, read Helen in um, in Matthew seven, Matthew seven and Matthew eighteen doesn't contradict each other. Even if one says uh, to go and address the issue, the other one says not to judge. Actually, needs to be done in the right order. Unfortunately, because of the pol- political correctness, we don't want to go all the way. You know, we just stop somewhere in the middle, and we because of that we have not finished the process. And I be- believe what um, Brenta just said. If you it become public, then publicly needs to be addressed with a chance, with a chance, and with loving and kindness approach. That person needs to be nurtured to come back to okay. Jesus.
3: Well, we we have to leave a few things that we'd love to talk about yet because the time is almost gone, probably has gone. Harvey, just quickly, we had this at the beginning. But what functions should the church serve?
2: Well, number one, it's to spread the gospel to the world, to the unbelievers. and I believe what Nick just said, speaking about those that we actually get to the point where they won't accept the authority of the church or the church group, we have to understand that they are people that need redemption, yes and so for. Sure. Then it's supporting and nurturing existing believers, upholding and proclaiming God's truth consolidating believers and members in doctrinal understanding, demonstrating the love of God to all, and helping the unfortunate corporately be the visible evidence of Christ on earth. All right. Thank you, Harvey. Now,
3: we've just got a moment left. Does somebody
2: here have a take-home message for the listeners today? Be ready to look at yourself rather than look at others, because if you look at yourself, comparing yourself with jesus we will see it more realistically do not compare yourself with other people other than jesus okay helen
1: unity is is preserved through the faithful teaching of the word uh, the word of god and by living in faithfulness to that word and just one point we are to counsel rather than to condemn and that without acting
2: as judge
4: yeah brenton I think the key uh, thing, uh, Len, that we can take home from here is the importance of the analogy that we used earlier of a husband and a wife and Christ and his church. We, if we understand and practice this voluntary submission that it's talking about, I believe the unity will come with the submission.
3: And the church should be an example to the rest the of the world. should be
4: an example to the world of what voluntary submission is and how it functions in unity. All right. Well, we're going to close with prayer.
3: So I invite you, everyone, to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father in heaven, we thank you for the instruction and guidance in your word, instruction about how to live on a personal level, instruction about how we can be saved, and instructions about how the church representing you called your body the Bride of Christ, should act. And we pray that um, people will see in us as believers and members of your church the sort of characteristics that they admire and want to take on board for themselves. I pray that you'll bless our listeners as they make your word the centre of their lives. In Jesus' name,
4: Mm. amen. 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 And and
3: listeners... We wish you God's rich blessings, especially around this time of the year, the festive season.